Never give up. Never surrender. What's up, guys? Welcome to Birdwatch, New Orleans Pelicans podcast powered by NOLA.com. I'm here today with Jeff Nowak. Jeff, it has been so long, I almost forget what you look like. <laughs> my hair is a bit longer than it than it usually is, but I'm, I'm, I'm accepting my caveman look well. I look like the, the Geico caveman, if you remember that commercial series, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm also living it because I never leave my house. Even now, I really don't leave my house, so I'm excited to talk about sports that are that is actually like about the sports. It's going to be fun. You do look like the Geico caveman if he got just cleaned up a little bit. Like if he had three days for someone to like try to enter him into society. Uh, I got my first haircut in, in three months yesterday, and it <laughs> felt incredible. Like it was it was rough out there. I mean, it was a six week wait list for a haircut. Damn. Yeah. Was it worth it? It was worth it. I I feel free and light right now. Uh, I've been like biking every day. That's my like therapy basically is just going a long bike ride and i expect today is going to be five ten minutes faster even in normal times i don't get haircuts very often and it's but when i do get my haircut i get it cut short i i enjoy walking out of uh walking out of my haircut and like going outside and there's a breeze and it's like oh man i haven't like felt sensation on my head in months and now uh i feel like i can do anything yeah yeah it's 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 nice to have people just wait on you a little bit too uh or, or just like, I don't know, just basic services of like going out to a restaurant or having your hair cut. Like, it's been a great reminder of, oh my God, like what a luxury it is. I love these things. Right. There's a, <laughs> the broad theater is a, there's, there's no movies to put out for these movie theaters, right? So most of them haven't even opened, but the, the broad theater over in Mid City, my girlfriend Claire told me about this. We're going to go tomorrow, assuming we can get in the limited capacity. They're, uh, they're rescreening Galaxy Quest. <laughs> which is oh, one of that's my the one favorite Tim movies. Allen, right? Yeah, Tim Allen and uh, Alan Rickman, Snape from Harry Potter, <laughs> uh, Sigourney Weaver, uh, Tony Shalhoub, all these guys. Even Rain Wilson has like a small role in it. Uh, it's, it's a great movie. I love that movie. And uh, I, I never saw it in theaters, so it's actually going to be kind of cool. So that's that's like one of the things I I am way overexcited from <laughs> to go do that. Consider, like considering I could watch it literally right now if I wanted to, <laughs> but it's like something that I've been looking forward to for several days. I think I've got Galaxy Quest in the stack of DVDs in like my childhood room somewhere. I need to I need to dig it out the next time I'm home. Uh, just an absolute classic. It's a great one. It's it's always worth the rewatch. Even like Baby Justin Long is in it. Like the cast list of that movie just goes Justin on Long? and on and on. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, oh. he was a nerd kid that helped him. Yeah, wow. I, I kind of forgot about that part. Right. So why it's worth rewatching. You should watch it tonight. Okay, so today we are just going to stick with straight basketball. There is a lot of news to go over. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's plenty of heavy stuff to talk about, but if you, know, if you just want to hear about basketball, that's what we're going to go over today. Um, the NBA made it official that... Uh, this return to play to play plan with 22 teams. The Pelicans are going to be a part of it. It's the top eight teams in each conference plus the next six teams with the best overall records. Um, I went back and forth with this a million times over the last couple of months. Of oh, I don't, I don't think the Pelicans would be a part of this. To to yes, they are. You know, there is this whole narrative of the Pelicans are only getting in uh, because the league wants to see Zion in which I don't entirely agree with and we can get into. But, um, yeah, the Pelicans will be a part of this. 
you know, basically a couple of things are going to happen for them to make the postseason. Uh, they're going to have to finish ninth in the West, basically fight off San Antonio, Portland, uh, Phoenix. And if they're able to get ninth, which is, you know, no easy task, they then have to beat the team in eighth twice in a row. Um, just kind of going over the stuff the past two days, I almost think their their road to to get the Western Conference's last playoff spot is is harder now than it would have been if they just got to play their last eighteen games. It, it definitely is. I mean, because half the teams that they would be playing in those last eighteen games aren't going to be there because they are outside the top twenty-two. <laughs> so whatever they do, like the biggest question in my mind is how do you establish a schedule because it can't be what it was, because you have to create the schedule out of those 22 teams, and you have to make sure everyone gets or an even number of games. I assume 72, because that's the only thing that makes sense with the eight-game number that I've seen floated around. So inevitably, they're going to end up having to play however many top teams it takes to even out that schedule, which no matter how many it is, it is more than what they would have been playing. So there's no way it's easier, but I think the fact that you have a chance at all is uh, the Pelicans are going to be glad to have that. Right. So every team that's a part of this tournament is going to play eight regular season games. I'm glad the league is trying to account for remaining strength of schedule to some degree. Um, I mean, the Pelicans of the Pelicans' final 18 games they're supposed to play, only three were against teams with, with uh, winning record. So we know that these remaining eight games are, are going to be composed of teams that were already on you know, team schedules before the season got suspended. They're only going to be, obviously, the 22 teams who are, who are going to Walt Disney World. So the Pelicans should ha- still have a, a fairly easy closing slate. And, you know, there's a, there's a pretty good chance that they're playing the Grizzlies multiple times during these eight regular season games. I mean, we're, we're possibly looking at a scenario where they play the Grizzlies twice in the eight remaining eight regular season games. They get the ninth seed, and then they have to play the Grizzlies once or twice again. That would be awesome. Yeah, Zion, Ja. It, it'll basically be a seven-game series that was just created out of this <laughs> over the course of however long it takes. Uh the, the, the scenario that it won't happen that I wish would is like, I wish they would just separate the top 13 seeds because they're, they're, they're set. You know, the top 13 seeds in this eight game, whatever you want to call it, sprint to the playoffs, they're basically just tune up games and, and setting up matchups because no one's playing for home court advantage. Um, at least not in a traditional sense. They're all playing on the same floor, so being one or two isn't really going to change much. You're going to get a low seed, and then even when you get to the, the semifinals, you're going to be playing a seven-game series against the, the team on a neutral court. So other than like setting up the bracket to benefit you, there's really no drama in those games, which kind of makes me wish that they would just separate the top 13 and separate the bottom nine. I want to say, yeah, that's right. Because there's two, the seven and eight in the East and eight in the West are the only seeds that could change basically in an eight game set. So I wish that they would just separate those two and have them play against each other. And then you would get, you know, all of those lower teams facing off against the teams that are competing with them. So you'd see the Pelicans play the Blazers. You'd see the Pelicans play the Grizzlies and the Kings. And then in every game would have like major playoff implications. 
Whereas they could, a team's inevitably going to run into the Bucks with two games left to the playoffs, and it doesn't matter, and that competitive balance isn't going to be the same because they're going to be resting Giannis, or they're, you know, they're not going to be going full tilt. So that's what I worry about is just, you know, I don't want to see that nine and eight seed matchup get kind of tinged by the fact that, you know, LeBron sat for the last two games and the Grizzlies got two easy wins and the Pelicans got, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, not only is, is just beating the eighth seed twice in a row, it's just a difficult thing to do when, when teams are fairly evenly matched. I mean, I think at full strength, the Pelicans are probably better than the Grizzlies, but just beating them twice in a row is a very difficult thing to do. I also think that why New Orleans road is a little bit harder now is, you know, this time off has given these teams who are competing for the eighth seed time to get healthy. Because if you think back to, you know, mid-March, right before the season got shut down, uh, Portland, for example, was really banked up. Yusuf Nurkic um, was about to come back, but he hadn't yet. Zach Collins was out. Both those guys are, are going to be back for Portland when the season resumes, it looks like. And Memphis as well. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. was out. Justice Winslow was about to debut, but he hadn't yet. He's going to be back when, when play resumes. Brandon Clark, I mean, all these teams they're, they're playing against are going to be back at full strength. And, you know, the the Pelicans had taken all their injury lumps basically in the early part of the season. They were they were healthy apart from J.J. Redick, who's dealing with the hamstring thing. So all, all the teams they're, they're kind of fighting with for the Western Conference's last playoff spot are healthy now. I also, I want to talk about this idea in, in general that the league basically went to this 22-team format in, instead of 16 primarily because of Zion. I mean, I, I wrote about it a little bit. Look, I'm not here to tell you that the NBA doesn't want to get Zion to be a part of this. I mean, you know, I think ESPN's highest rated game of the season that, that wasn't on Christmas Day included Zion. So, like, we all know what an incredible draw he is. But I I don't really agree that that was the primary reason, you know, why they're doing 22 instead of 16. The primary reason is money. I mean, they're doing these eight regular season games basically to satisfy the contracts with the regional sports networks. Um, if they don't hit a certain number, then the owners would have to cut checks back to the regional sports network partners. Um, you know, Woj said this on SportsCenter, but basically, you know, doing 22 instead of 16 has a potential to make the league hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue. I think that there was two things on the table. One was 16 teams, and then you go straight into the playoffs, and you play however many games it takes to satisfy your deals, and then you start the playoffs. It's like, that's a tune-up, whatever. Once you got to the point where the plan was to bring in extra teams, it just would have been really silly for the league to come back and say, okay, we're going to bring in 20, and we're going to leave out the number one overall pick with this huge draw and, 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 and cut out that matchup. And, and I think... More so than the number of teams in terms of making sure Zion got in was the decision to make it open seating. Because in a universe where the Kings and the Pelicans played on March 11th, instead of deciding not to play, you were there for that game and they were going to be allowed to play and they didn't. And because they didn't, the Kings and the Pelicans are tied. I mean, the Pelicans have the tiebreaker, but the Kings have the exact same record. And it would really kind of suck if the Kings got left out to put the Pelicans in with the exact same record, having only played 68, 64 games and not having a chance to break the tiebreaker that they would have had night. So there, I think there would have been a lot of saltiness if they, if they went straight down and they brought the Pelicans in and they brought the Wizards and the Hornets on the other side, which if they 
if they went 22 teams, you would end up with teams on the east side that have no chance. And why are you bringing them in if they have no chance? It's just a public safety hazard for no reason. But if they did 20 teams with open, without, with open seating, then no e extra east teams would have gotten in. Do you follow what I'm saying? Like, so I think it's just the combination of how the whole plan comes together was definitely tinged, at least in part, by wanting to make sure that, that these draws get in. Because what's the point of all this if it's not peak entertainment to what it could be? I'd, I'd like to see like in an alternate reality where the Kings and the Pelicans play, if this is any different. Because I think that tie, which is essentially a three-way tie with the Blazers, makes it really complicated in terms of how you separate that. Right. So one of my biggest questions that, that the league did not answer today, and it's like official press release or whatever. So teams have played a different number of games. Uh, Portland has played 66 games. New Orleans has played 64 games. Well, let's just say both of the, you know, Portland and New Orleans go six and two. They're tied in, in games back of like the number one seed or whatever. But Portland is ahead in terms of pure winning percentage. Well, I mean, what, how does that get determined? Do they go with pure winning percentage or do they go with head-to-head -head tiebreakers? I, I think I saw a little speculation that they'll go with head-to-head -head tiebreakers. That's the way I would do it. That's the way that, that seems most fair to me if you're tied in the standings. But we haven't had that answered yet. Yeah, and, and I don't know how they, how they set it up. I almost wonder if you know, the standings themselves are going to be adjusted slightly to kind of like that to to flatten it a little bit just because the the four game number kind of felt arbitrary to me but I think I think in a large part you know and, and I'm saying four games in terms of the nine seed plays the eight seed if it's within four games in that play-in series and I think the four game thing part of it's because there are three teams three and a half games back of the Grizzlies I think so it's like if they the, I think the idea is if they stay flat then that kind of deserves a chance to to say okay in the in the final 10 games they might have had a chance but they're not going to get that chance so this just allows everyone to say okay we we at least had an opportunity and then i think the second part of that is if you look at the eastern conference you know there's a chance that the the wizards end up 10 games out and if you don't put that <laughs> game cap there I'm, i would be surprised if they don't to be completely honest <laughs> They're not bringing Wall back, and they're not good. They've won 24 games. <laughs> like, they're bad. No, they're they're um, bad. <laughs> and, and I think that they, the NBA wanted to avoid a situation where, you know, the eighth seed in the East ends up having to do a play-in series against the team they're nine games ahead of. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because when they initially came out with that number, I was like, four games. Like, what a, there's no historical significance of that number. <laughs> uh, and I think that's got to be – that's got to have something to do with it. Right, right. That's, I mean, that's a good point, too. Um, I mean, what, so the Pelicans are three and a half games back of the Grizzlies. They, they basically have to have as good of a record as Memphis, if not better, to, to have a chance to advance. Um, that's, that's part of this. Man, I felt like I was a lawyer just reading Shams' report yesterday about how the play-in tournament will work. I had to read that one paragraph like five times before I sent the tweet, and I even... I even couched the tweet. I was like, if I read this correctly, that was, that was a little confusing at first. It's not so much like a play-in tournament as it is a play-in game or set. I mean, it's either one or two games. Yeah, I mean, so being in, having been in Louisiana for, you know, 
going on five years now, it very much is like a NCAA Super Regional in baseball, if you've ever followed any of that, where basically it's a, it's a, it's a series, but it's like a separated series. So there's a winner's bracket and a loser's bracket, and if the, the loser's bracket, when they get to the, you know, the final, they would have to beat the team twice because they hadn't, hadn't lost yet. Because it's, but it's double elimination the whole way through. So basically, you're just skipping that. And, and, but it's that same concept, which, you know, that's, it is fun because it's, it seems like a pretty daunting task to beat a team twice in a row. But all the pressure, every ounce of pressure is on the eighth seed. And if they lose that first game, then it becomes even more, even more monumental. I'm a Red Sox fan. I remember watching the uh, 2004 playoffs with the when they came back from three games down against the Yankees. And you know, when you look back on it, it was always it was the first game that really made it. Like every they won that first game, and then it was like, oh, they're not going to win three more in a row. And then they won the second game, and you're like, at, at a certain point, you feel like you can't win <laughs> because the 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 avalanche has started and it's just, it's not going to stop. And that's kind of, that, that's what that, eight, that two game like mini series could be just so exciting if, uh, if the Pelicans get into it. Yeah. Yeah. So the next steps on this basically are, you know, I think a, a little more than half of the Pelicans players are here in Louisiana. They're going to have to recall the players. They're going to have to effectively do a second training camp before they go to Orlando this is also strange, but I think there is like some concern. I guess any NBA team would be concerned about just conditioning level. I mean, a lot of these guys have, have been confined to their homes for the past three months. And I mean, if you just look at Zion Williamson's last uh, eight or nine months of basketball, I mean, he spent the first three months of the season recovering from a knee injury. He got a game and a half of months under his belt. And then you know, he's been working out at home and doing a little rehab at the Pelicans practice facility, but not doing any five-on-five activity for close to the last three months now. I mean, if I was the Pelicans, you know, obviously you want to play, and I think the players really do want to play, but there would be some concern in the back of my mind about, you know, there's going to be a ton of games. Like, we got to make sure that Zion is going to be able to to withstand this. It's definitely true, and and that kind of goes back to the, you know, when – the initial report came out that they weren't going to finish the season. I think the prevailing thought at that time was, why would you bring Zion back at all if you don't feel like you can get there? And and if they played a and at three and a half games out and tied with three other teams, you know, the odds of them getting over that hump in eight games it's very very small. I mean, what would they have to? Well, they, they, if even if they went eight and all, <laughs> the Grizzlies would have to go four and four or worse to, to overcome that. And that's assuming the Pelicans win all of their games. So, I mean, it's just such a low, low percentage chance for them to get there. Um, but, you know, in this, in this situation, anything goes. I mean, two other teams they're tied with, their, their season record is 5-0 and oh against them, right? I, they beat the Blazers four times. I know that. And I think they've only played the Kings once. And it was that crazy, if you remember, it was that crazy game where uh, whoever it was that hit the four-point play to tie it, and then Reddick came back down the other end with, like, the the lefty floater <laughs> at the buzzer. Yeah, it was, like, um, the only floater he made all year. <laughs> yeah, and I did not see it coming. Um, I don't think that's, like, when you draw up a last-second shot for Reddick, I don't think that's the one you have in mind. But all that that was probably the most exciting game outside of the Jazz uh, overtime game that they won. Uh, and 
the it feels like they have really high odds to make that even if even if the schedule is a bit harder and so with that kind of feeling like you you know do you put some training wheels on zion for the first few games or do you just let him go i, I don't know uh jj reddick is awful at floaters like it was a minor miracle that he made that I went, there was a I forgot what story I did, but I went back and just looked at every floater he shot this season. <laughs> he has a horrible touch on floaters, and it's kind of inexplicable. I mean, just one of the greatest shooters of all time just can't really shoot him. But we don't have I to didn't even that. I didn't even know he had shot another floater, to be completely honest with you. I, if you had told me that was literally the only floater he had even attempted, I probably would have believed it because, you know, at best the others have been completely unmemorable because <laughs> they probably just clanked off the side of the backboard. But yeah, I mean, J this is a perfect segue into just J.J. Redick in general, which is like, he must have just a rabbit's foot in his pocket at all times. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, the odds of them making the playoffs over the last 18 games were probably good, but they were still like, they were still had to do it. You know, they, they, they would have needed Memphis to, to help them in by not winning 11 of their own games, right? Now all the Pelicans have to do is beat the teams that they're surrounded by and not be uh, and be even with the Blaze, with the Grizzlies. So like the schedule might be harder, but I think their chances are get, of getting in are better. And if they get in, <laughs> that continues the most bad. Like you wouldn't believe it until you looked it up. Like record of like if, if JJ Redick's playoff streak was like a person, it would be going into what ninth grade this year. Like <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, it'd be getting its uh, learner's permit next year to drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my read on the situation kind of from afar, um, I think the young guys are are super excited about the opportunity to you know have more games and try to make the postseason. I'd say, you know, some of the older guys, um, maybe not quite as enthused. Uh, you know, I, I saw Derek Favors say on the Pelicans podcast, I think last week, like, Man, I thought the season was done. I only started working out like two weeks ago. Um, you know, I think if, if you're just looking at this and being really level-headed, like, we really like our team, but, you know, the chances of us, like, actually doing this thing only for a chance to play the Lakers in the first round, um, I think they're all going to be professional and do it. But, yeah, man, that's a, that's a lot of work. You know, coming back, doing a second training camp, quarantining, being away from your family for a couple of weeks in Orlando, and then your prize is, is playing the Lakers in the first round. <laughs> back here on Birdwatch, uh, the NBA is coming back on July 31st. You know, it was, it was funny. Adam Silver's line for a while was, it's a about the data, not the date. And then, it, you know, a couple of weeks went by. Uh, there was some more urgency. And, and then, you know, that kind of went out the window. It, was, it, it seemed like it was more about the date and not the data. I mean, if you just look at Florida's numbers right now, um, I think they just had their, their highest single day total of confirmed cases. So, like, there, there's definitely going to be some, some risk, you know, going there. Do you, do you think the NBA should even try to do this? Like, is that a good or a smart thing? Um, you know, it's, that's a good question. There's going to be a lot of learning 
in terms of how safe can you actually keep these players as they're going, you know, and, and it would not shock me all that much if these games start and then we learn, you know, we find out that it's just not feasible. We can't have these players, you know, bang into each other every night, you know, dozens and <laughs> dozens of players facing off with dozens of other players and then another dozen players. And it, we could learn very fast that it's just not possible. Um, but did an interview with uh, Dr. Rand McLean. He, he runs a sports medicine uh, firm out in Los, the Los Angeles area, and he works with a lot of NBA athletes. And one of the points that he brought up, which I think is very uh, – it's a good observation and something to keep in mind is the, all of society isn't shut down anymore. You know, that people are returning to kind of their daily – their daily routines, and we're, sh in terms of safety, right, in completely in terms of safety, we're shipping off all these NBA players into a friggin' bubble and saying, and, and quarantining them away from society to keep them from getting sick. So you could make a very valid argument that what you're asking them to do is monumentally more stringent than if they were just living in the world and going to stores and going to restaurants and getting takeout. Um, so f from a safety perspective, I don't, I don't know if there's any other way that you could make it safer from a, you know, from a feasibility perspective, that's the question I have, like, can it be done versus like, I think it is the safest way. If we're, if we're going to do it, that's the safest way to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what you said is right. We have to prepare for the, the possibility that this just doesn't work and they just have to call it because, you know, I think they can deal with, oh, if, if one player contracts it, like, sorry, you just have to quarantine for 14 days or whatever. But what happens if there's a situation like the one going on with the Alabama football team right now and, like, five dudes on one team get it? What do you, what do, you do about that? I mean, you can't really field a team without five of your guys. It's true. And, and so I think the what we're going to learn about – oh, my God, these cats are going insane um, – what, I think what we're going to learn about most is how effective and how quickly can we test because that's going to be the most important part. It's not just, you know, you're getting all this testing done. You need to get the results back fast enough that they're actionable, that you can find out someone has tested positive and quarantine them before they put other people in the, at the risk of contamination. And uh, that's another thing the, Dr. McLean said, that, that the, the feasibility of that does exist. He said he works with labs where they can turn around test results in 24 hours, assuming that you have, you, you have plans in place where you can get the results there and you can get the, the results turned around and registered quickly enough. And then the, he said that he can get it done in 24 hours, and if that's the case, and I think that you know, anyone who has already tested positive previously is a little easier because, you know, you're, you're not doing the standard tests. You're doing a lot more antibody tests, stuff like that. But I think if they can get that to work, then this is a po this, this works because it's not that many people when you really break the numbers down. You know, it sounds like a lot because there's all these teams and I think it's what, 35, 35 people per, per team that's going to, that they're registering in the bubble, you know, between players and support staff and coaches and stuff. Um, I mean, you compare that to like, you know, the number of people who go in and out of a Walmart each day and it's, it's nothing. Um, so the real question is, can you keep them, can you keep them from getting sick while they're in close proximity to each other? And I don't think that un until we find out, <laughs> until it starts happening, I don't know if there's any way to really predict. Yeah. That's what 800 people on, a pretty big campus. Um, it doesn't sound like 
players are going to be allowed to bring family members until the playoffs. Um, just imagine you're LeBron or Giannis or Kawhi, and you know, you're mentally preparing for the fact that, man, I could be going to Orlando for two and a half months. Like these guys that are making finals runs are going to be there from July 31st to early to mid-October. That's, that's a long, long time to be away from your home and, and just on a, a Disney World campus. I mean, that's, that's tough to imagine. There's, I mean, these, a lot of these guys, I mean, they've, they've just never dealt anything like it. It's, it's crazy to be away for that long, two and a half months. That is another thing that I've wondered, you know, so the, the NBA can say all they want, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to sequester all these teams, but is it a given that every NBA player that is asked to go will say, yeah, sure? I mean, every, a lot of these guys are in much different situations. Uh, you know, so, some have young kids and some have, you know, elderly parents and, and stuff like that that they might be worried about. And if, you know, you're talking about going in for months in a situation where, you know, if you're like, I have my grandmother's in a retirement home. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable going to a facility that I am committing to staying in for three months and I cannot leave. When she gets sick, what happens? You know, that sort of thing. And that's the type of thing that the players are going to have to grapple with. And there are a lot of, I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, a few players saying, I just can't swing it, you know, and they're going to have to probably sacrifice money to stay out. But that's going to be, you know, I would, I, I worry about the reaction if and when that does happen. And, and you saw, I think, Blake Snell from the Tampa Bay Rays. He said he's not going to play. And part of it was because of money and part of it was because of health. And he got just, he got hit over the head with a hammer. Like someone, they dropped an anvil on him because of a few offhand comments on a, on a Twitch stream. And I just worry that like you're going to hear someone, you know, just pulling a name out of a hat. Andre Iguodala says, I am not going. I don't feel comfortable, you know, some... And he gets completely just decimated online from people, you know, and, and it's something that I, I stay up late at night thinking about that type of stuff. So it's, that's going to be something that we, that we should be prepared for at the very least. It's the type of like, a lot of times you forget that it's people and not just like, you know, pieces on a chessboard that you, they have to make these decisions for themselves. And uh, it, it, that'll be interesting, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm so interested in, in what these games are just going to look and sound like on the TV screen, too. Like, are, I mean, these will effectively be, you know, high-stakes summer league games circa, like, 2010 when before summer league blew up and there's anybody in the stands. Multiple games going on per day. Uh, you know, a lot Very of them quiet. taking place during daylight. Yeah, it's it's just so weird. Did you did you see Dave McVenomen's ESPN story about some of the ideas that contenders have floated to give them, quote-unquote, home court advantage? I did, and I, 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 I don't know if I've laughed at a hard news story more than, than that, uh, because it wasn't meant to be a joke. <laughs> but it, it, like, if you, uh, it, there is just so much, so much to pull out of that. Um, my favorite idea was that they could let the team ship in their home court, or the higher seeded <laughs> team ship in their home court. Which I do, do, do. Is that really the difference? Is that what makes a home court <laughs> an advantage? What are the Lakers doing in their home floor that makes it significantly better for them to play on? Is it is it just the wood or the basket suit? Because I could maybe see if you're like, I want to play on my own basket. You know, each basket probably, you know, breaks a little bit different way. But if it's just the wood, I, I don't know. I mean, all of it was pretty ridiculous. My my favorite one, and when I say favorite, the one that I thought was the most inane was the idea of 
the team with the higher seed gets the ball at the start of every quarter. Like, what are we doing? This is still <laughs> playoff basketball. Well, and that one's that one's strange too, because but it's not the beginning of every quarter because you're still gonna do a tip. <laughs> so at, you know maybe they get four, but you know in a lot of scenarios they only get three. So you're literally saying, okay, home court advantage is the value of one possession <laughs> per game. Yeah, one of the one of the things I've noticed just about the NBA in general compared to a couple of the other pro sports leagues that's really became apparent during the pandemic is. So much stuff gets leaked in the NBA. I don't know why that is, if there's more aggressive reporting, if the reporters are just friendlier with, like, executives and decision makers. But, like, I feel like I don't see just just stuff like that get leaked uh, from people who cover the NHL, the MLB, or whatever. I wonder why that is. Yeah, the, the NBA is not very good at uh, locking down their information. <laughs> uh, but to be fair, you know, there are a lot of a lot of leaked reports in the NFL. They're just they're not as they're not as juicy as the NBA's. But yeah, so this wasn't actually part of Dave McMenamin's article, but you know, I, I saw this was a joke that was presented kind of off of it. And uh, one one tweet I saw suggested that the best option would be to let uh, to let every team bring in one fan, <laughs> like each market gets their own super fan. Uh, and I was trying to figure out, you know, who who the Pelican super fan would be. I settled on uh, Morris Bart. I think that would be kind of fun. He's a personal injury lawyer, right? Yeah, he'd have to sacrifice some business, but I think, uh, I think the exposure would get him a lot, a lot more uh, one call, that's all traffic. And uh, there's a really funny picture that we have in uh, the NOLA.com archives of him in the playoffs in, I want to say, 2004. Four? It was a long time ago, and he's standing behind the backboard. I think Dennis ha- Devin Harris is shooting a free throw, and he's holding up a brick, <laughs> like a massive brick. It's it's like probably six feet wide, and uh, I I came across that recently because I was looking for a file photo, and I and I'd never seen it before, and I I laughed for about ten minutes. It was great. A personal injury lawyer of of any kind, maybe maybe the Womack. We could put the Womack on him, or um, <laughs> some some other candidates. Uh, Angie Thomas, the young adults novels author, uh, Pelican superfan on Twitter. I think my personal vote would be Win Butler. Like he's huge. I feel like he could just make a lot of noise and just be generally very distracting. As long as he brought the hat, that's definitely true. Um, could be the whistle monster. I know he's not. He's more of a Saints fan. But if you're <laughs> looking for atmosphere, he could, he's he's like a one man. Uh, <laughs> a one-man <laughs> show. I think it, I want to say it was the Rams-Saints playoff game in the NFC Championship a few years ago. And it, if you went on social media, there was it was trending like the there was like this weird buzzing sound that you could hear it on the broadcast. And people on social media were like, "What the heck's going on? This is like driving me nuts." And it was him. Like literally, he was whistling so loud that you could hear it on the broadcast. It was like when they had the Vuvuzelas at the World Cup, like that level <laughs> of noise. And so if you're looking for an advantage that, you know, one person who might be able to, you know, annoy LeBron enough to miss a key free throw, he's the guy. He's the guy you want on your side. That's that's some incredible whistling. Yeah. <laughs> he's I, got I, costumes galore. I mean, he's yeah. already basically a mascot on his own. So. Oh, I think that's part of the appeal of Lynn Butler, too, is just the wardrobe that he already has. Like, you, you want somebody who's just, like, wearing some wild stuff out there if they're going to be the one. So, I mean, who, if, 
I'm trying to think of some other uh, some other uh, markets that might have a good fan to bring. Uh, I know who should. G- I know who should represent the Lakers. Who's that? Uh, we can't do Jack Nicholson. We got to protect Jack at all costs. We should do the <laughs> Lakers guy. Do you know what I'm talking about? The guy with like, he's in the meme of the the black shirt and he has the Lakers chain and the camera cuts to him and he just holds up the chain and he just says Lakers with like his tongue all out. I mean, I'm sure I've seen him, but I I don't, I'm not placing him offhand. But yeah, that, that's the problem is if you <laughs> so many of the uh, Lakers super fans that you might want to bring are, you know, uh, you'd put in a high risk pool like uh, Jack Nicholson and Ric Flair. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good one. I think that's a good one. Uh, but the, you know, and the Lakers and the Clippers are going to have to fight for the celebrity, the celebrity ones. So that's going to be tough for both of them. They're going to have to they're gonna find an allegiance somewhere. I was going to say, I remember being at the, uh, Lakers Pelicans game in LA and the moment I knew the Pelicans weren't winning that game was when I saw Ric Flair go up there and do the pregame intros. Like there's just, there's just no way you're, you're beating a team that, that has Ric Flair doing the pregame intros. Well, maybe maybe that's something they can go with. Maybe they can. Maybe the home team gets to pipe in their preferred intro pump-up guy, right? Like the Lakers can get their Ric Flair intro. The Celtics can just get Kevin Garnett up there yelling. I think we've adopted Pat McAfee, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That is Pat McAfee could be uh, could record a, an intro. Um, Speaking of Kevin Garnett, I, I finally got around to watching Uncut Gems, and I I feel like I'm like permanently damaged uh, from the from the stress levels that I experienced watching that movie. I know you're a big fan of it, so I had to bring it up. I actually rewatched it last night. That's on Netflix now, yeah. 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 What? So you liked it? Oh, it was great. It was great, but like I had to, I couldn't watch it all in one sitting. Like I I would watch it for a half an hour, and then I would have to like take a break. I, I watched it like I would read a book. And, but the thing I got a kick out of was uh, Drew Holiday was it, like indirectly in that movie <laughs> like 12 times. They've said his name constantly. Every time the broadcast was on the game, it seemed like Drew Holiday was the name of the guy shooting. I don't know if it's because he's like one of the few guys left in the NBA from that Sixers team, but they really leaned into it. Like if you, I, I watched a lot of movies with subtitles because, you know, I – I don't hear that well for whatever reason, and I just like to see it. And so it, it had all the subtitles for the broadcast, and, and his name just kept popping up, even though he had nothing to do with the movie other than being on the team that the Celtics played in that playoff series, which I remember watching too. Yeah, I actually, I, when I, I went and saw it in theaters like the weekend it came out, and I told Drew, he's like, oh, I'm featuring it? That's what's up? Like, I'm, I'm going to have know. to go see it? No, he had no idea. That's so funny. Yeah. It was such a weird it was such a weird thing. And I, I think that probably is it, which like if you go back to look at that Sixers roster, you know, I guarantee you there's maybe one or two role players that are still in the league from that team. And they were just like, Yeah, okay, we'll just we'll just say Drew Holiday for three constantly and uh I don't know. I, I got a kick out of it. Yeah, yeah. That I mean that is the thing about that movie, the first time you see it, it's so stressful. Like it's it's immediately stressful. It's anxiety inducing and even like the way it's scored which I like oh, that. Yeah. It's very polarizing, though. A lot of people just couldn't stand it at all. Uh, I was a huge fan, but I, I thought it was worth the price of admission to hear Adam Sandler say litigious individual. For me, that made it all worth it. <laughs> Litigious individual. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Was, uh, he, you know, you can say what you want about Adam Sandler, and uh, he is a great actor. 
that just sometimes says, eh, screw it, I'll do Grown Ups 3. Um, <laughs> but when he, when he goes in, the teeth, man, the teeth, his teeth in that movie, <laughs> I, I, like, they give me nightmares. And it was nice to finally put a scene to the gif of um, <laughs> this is how I win. You know, that, <laughs> I've seen it so many times, I've never seen the movie. And I was like waiting the entire time, and it's like an hour and a half in. And they're like, ah, there it is. Yeah, the fact that he's saying that line to the sports pope, too, makes it all better. Right, right. With, with KG, tell, he's telling KG his bet, and he's like, uh, yeah, we got this. Anyway, not to give away too, many, too much of the movie. Spoilers. Well, Jeff, do you, know, do you know how the Pelicans win? Not with a shiny rock, I don't think. They get the ninth seed, stay within four games of the eighth seed, then beat the eighth seed twice in a row. Uh, I only had to read that ten times to figure that out. It's so funny because the Pelicans – okay, so this is the thing that I really – that you know we can, we can keep talking about this and we can go on to something else. But one of the thing that I really enjoy about this scenario is it's not just that the Pelicans are in it. It's that the Pelicans now, regardless of whether they make the playoffs, they essentially have three sets of playoffs. You have the first – just kind of like ramp up where, you know, every game is basically a playoff game because they're tied with three other teams. It's basically, they, they wanted to go with a group stage. We essentially have a group stage because the group is now, you know, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Blazers, and to a lesser extent, the Spurs, right? So it's basically, you could lock everyone off and put them in a group and just, and those are the games that you're watching. That's the record. So that's kind of its own playoff thing. Then if they make it into the play-in, that's the second stage of a playoff and you get at least one, playoff caliber game maybe two and if they win that then they get a third playoff experience uh, in the first round against the the lakers so it, like for for all the ways this whole thing could have turned out in terms of like really wanting to get a satisfying conclusion to the nba season for the pelicans that i mean you can't really other than playing the whole season out i don't i don't see how you could have gotten a better a better opportunity than this yeah, I, I think if you had told the Pelicans when they were 6-22 and 22 or whatever it was at the beginning part of the year that this is what you'll have to do to make the playoffs. I mean, they take that all day. I mean, it, that, that they're even in this position is pretty crazy with, with how things started out. So I'm, ju I'm just glad that, you know, we're going to get at least eight more games because if we didn't, then there's not going to be games until December. It would have been, what, seven eight months without Pelicans basketball like that's the hardest thing for the fan bases of these teams who aren't included in the tournament these people are gonna have to wait till December to see their teams play again if you're the Hornets you gotta be pissed off you know that that's that's the thing that happened that like you knew of, at, to a certain extent there's going to be a number of teams that end up on the short side and the Hornets have to be the most pissed off team because they are just they are the 10th seed in the east and the 12 seed in the, in the West is getting in. <laughs> and they don't, you know, they could have been better. So it's like, you know, if they wanted to get in, they could have just won more games. Uh, but, you know, that's, if you're Mike, if you're Michael Jordan, you came off that high of the documentary and everyone's like tweeting about you and stuff. And uh, now we're just back to crying Jordan memes and that one with the headphones on the bus. That's a good one. The one with the headphones on the bus is the best one. Yeah, I mean, there's I, so many applications for it. <laughs> I want to get years of use out of it. All right, guys. Well, I think that is going to do it for us, us this week. Um, appreciate you guys listening. We're really happy to have basketball back, and we'll definitely be talking to you more regularly as as some more details emerge. See you.